scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 5, verses 21 to 32. I'll just give you a minute to find your place. Have you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that, you, you have, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it has been said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who look, looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. And we, uh, we just ask today, Lord, that it would do its work in our hearts and be uh, fruitful and multiply. I just pray as we regather again today and, and start up life groups that you would um, consider how we might spur each other on towards um, love and good deeds, as it says in Hebrews. We pray specifically for um, two of our um, church family, Lord, that um, as Cassie Monis is uh, thinking about uh, making appointments and perhaps traveling for treatment, Lord, that you would undertake for her to make those arrangements and for the physicians that might give her some diagnosis and treatment, Lord, that you would just give them wisdom as well and just that you would be um, her rock in all of this and that you would give her peace and comfort. We pray also for Patty Fisher as she's, uh, again, undergoing treatment, that you would help her hemoglobin levels to be... Um, normal, and um, as she's in Florida, that you protect her from COVID. We just thank you for how joyful she is in the midst of her trials, Lord, and that through this difficult time that you would be glorified and, and she, would, she would give witness to your goodness. And um, we pray for all the other uh, requests that are in the, the prayer notification that the church sends out too many to list here but we just are mindful of those things that are in our circles so we give thanks now in Jesus name and pray that um, your name would be lifted up today you would be glorified and magnified in all that we do and say in Jesus name amen well good morning and it is really good to see everybody here so thankful uh, for this day and for this opportunity and, uh, you know, I'm also thankful for the, the big basket of cards that you've, you've written to missionaries, to our missionaries. 
Uh, it, is, it is wonderful to see that, that basket filling up in the office, and, and I'd love to see even more. You know, before uh, pastoral ministry, my wife and I were in, in mission work, and uh, we, we were the beneficiaries of Christmas cards from, from people in supporting churches, and it was so nice to get those cards, uh, not just from a church in general, but from individuals. You know, they were praying specifically for us. They remembered us, and, and that meant a lot. And so thank you for those who have done it, and you still have opportunity, and so I, I hope you'll be able to do it as well. Um, you know, even, even someone like Frank Perry, who's, who's our missionary of the month, um, yeah, he's, he's in his 90s. I'm sure, I'm sure he needs all the encouragement he, need, he can get to, to keep going as well. And so uh, thankful for, for you and, and for our missionaries. Let's, uh, let's continue on in, in our series in Matthew. This is the Sermon on the Mount that we're, that we're, uh, that we're keeping up with here. And, yeah, you know, this, this, these are weighty topics that we're looking at today. Uh, anger, lust, and divorce. Okay, but we're not going to overlook them. We're going we're gonna to plow through them and, and see what our Lord has to say about them. Uh, last week... Last week, we saw that to be made right with God, we need a righteousness that's, that's not our own. And Jesus freely gifts his righteousness to all who believe, to, who believe in him and believe in his substitutionary death on the cross. Praise the Lord for that. Once we have that gift of his righteousness, we, we are motivated to, to live in a different way. Uh, the, we're motivated to live in the right way before God, not not because we've we're, we're trying to earn His favor, but because through Christ we already have His favor. And and the duty of the law, it, it you know that it once was in Christ, now becomes a delight. It, it's 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 judgment is no longer hanging over us, uh, but we have a freedom. To, to accomplish it. Today, we're going to look at three different areas of the law and how they are impossible, once again, to keep on our own, but how they can be a, a delight to try to follow as, as followers of Christ. And, and as I mentioned, those three areas are anger, lust, and divorce. But before we, and don't worry, this is, this is a, a, you know, a, a G sermon, okay? The three areas we're going to look at are uh, that, that, that these, these areas that we'll look at, we're, we're, we're going to dive into the two of them quite deeply, and then, and then I'll explain what we're going to do with the last one. But before we look at them, let me point out one important thing. And that important thing is Jesus' authority. Each, each one of these topics begins with the same way. I don't know if you noticed that when, when Trevor read the scripture, but they all begin with Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said. Then he says that, that law, okay, like, like the first one, you shall not murder. And then he follows that up with, but I say to you. That, that's the formula that, that is used here. And it's very different from the current teachers of this day. The current teachers would, would often quote the law, and then they would quote the most the most prominent rabbis or teachers of the day, or, or possibly of the past. 
Jesus quotes the law, but then he speaks not on someone else's authority or opinion, but on his own opinion. I say unto you, his own authority. And this is one of the things that people marveled at when, when, Jesus, when Jesus taught. He taught with authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. Further, he doesn't, he doesn't tear down the law but instead leads us into a, a deeper righteousness that, that the commandments really desire, a righteousness that comes, that comes right from the heart, and it's, it's, it's not just our actions. Jesus can do that because he is the Son of God. So he is not, he's not just upholding the law, but he, he embodies the law and, and its intention. If you want to see what the law looks like in practice, look at the life of Jesus. And look what he taught about it, like in this passage this morning. He's the greatest example of righteousness. And each of these topics are, are well known within the law. These, these are not sort of the finer details that, that maybe you haven't heard about. All right, Two, two of them, uh, murder and adultery, are are explicitly in the Ten Commandments, very clearly. And the other, divorce, is spoken about in, uh, extensively as well in the law. And so this wasn't something that, that was a minute detail. So let's look at that first law that, that Jesus mentions, starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So this, this command is, is universally known. Right? You, you shall not murder. And, and not only known, but upheld in, in, in theory, in principle, it's safe to say that most of us here could probably check that off of our list of something we've never done right? and, then, and then be done with it, right? I, well, definitely haven't murdered, so I'm good there. Uh, until Jesus drills down to the heart attitude of murder, which is anger. Anger is, is the heart sin that can spew out not only hurtful words, actions, but even murder itself. And this sounds quite disturbing because each of us, each of us, if we're honest with ourselves, each of us have been angry with someone before. But the teaching by Jesus is actually quite loving because he does, he does not want us stewing in our anger and thinking everything is all right as long as we don't kill somebody. Sinful anger should should find difficulty making a home in your heart. 
And here's how you make it difficult. Jesus gives two examples. So if you are offering your gift, verse 23, at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First go, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So if you're angry with someone, or, or someone is angry with you, go to them and try to make it right. Anger, anger gets comfortable when, when you give it a home in your heart. And Jesus says even, Jesus says to the, to the crowd to stop. He even says in the midst of worship, stop, go, reconcile with your fellow believer. Right? He says to leave your gift at the altar. Right? So this is the, this is the sacrificial system that, that represented our need for our offenses toward God to be paid for. God wants us to interpret or to, uh, to interpret that process that as, as something important, right? And so if he's saying, leave that to go do this, then this must be pretty important in God's sight. Anger issues are important to, to reconcile. And that means that, that God really cares about the position of our hearts most of all. Our hearts were not meant to harbor anger, yet, yet we do it so easily. Don't fall into that trap of, of keeping up the outward formal cycles of worship when you have a heart that's full of anger. And I think this is the lie that many of us believe as Christians. If I just keep up my church life and put on a happy face, God will delight in that. We all think like that, but, but God looks upon the heart. This is where Jesus is putting the focus. God looks upon the heart, and he would rather be kept waiting for your formal worship while you practice being obedient to him. Right? An obedient heart is the most pure form of worship. So you're not really leaving worship. You're, you're going to worship when you're going to re reconcile. The second, the second example here is about someone taking you to court if they have something against you. And it says we're to come to terms, or you could also translate that we're to make friends with them as, as quickly as possible so that we don't face the consequences. It, it's it's kind of strange that this, this one is in here, but, but the common theme in both of these examples here is acting immediately to keep out of the judgment or consequence that can happen, right? Because the consequence just kind of unfolds with that thing, you know, do it on your way to court because then when the judge hears you and then, and then he convicts you and then he gives you to the prison guard and the guard throws you in prison, then that's it. That's it. It's too late. It's too late. Act quickly. Act quickly. We need to act quickly when anger is in our hearts. To leave it there puts us in danger of becoming like the scribes and the Pharisees, which is having an appearance of righteousness, but not the heart. 
Let's look at the next section. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, or sorry, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Ooh, harsh, right? Again, the, the heart is, is the focus. The heart is once again the focus. And it, in this one, it's specifically mentioned. So it's, so it's unavoidable that this is what Jesus is talking about. God cares about the heart. Because that's where everything comes from. Now, now adultery, like murder, is, is also one of, found in the Ten Commandments. Uh, but its, its seriousness is has been diminished over the centuries. But like murder, which, which starts with anger in the heart, adultery starts with lust in the heart. I should say here that, that j just, just to clarify, noticing that someone is attractive is not lust. L lust is is fixating our gaze and thoughts on that attractiveness so that we desire it. Nobody just falls into adultery. It just happened. It, it, it doesn't just happen. There, there's a lustful intent or desire that goes on before that. That desire is, is not focused on God or the other person, but the focus is really self. It, it's a selfishness that goes against what the marriage relationship is all about. The marriage relationship is, is a giving of your whole self to your spouse. And, and sex is a expression of, of that giving. Lust, on the other hand, is about taking. It's a, I want that person with, with no strings attached kind of mentality. And, and that brings up another important point. Marriage is not the solution to the battle of lust. I think a lot of Christians get that wrong. Lust is a heart problem. It's not a physical problem. It's a heart problem, and only God can solve heart problems. And so uniting yourself with another person isn't going to solve the problem. The solution is to put our gaze upon not, not a person, but on God. The psalmist David tells us that his desire was to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That, that's, that's one of the things he desired. One of the primary things he desired. 
we don't look, we don't gaze upon the Lord long enough. And hence, we don't see how exceedingly greater his beauty is above any other earthly beauty. The problem is that there are so many things that try to steal our desires. So, so there are many things that try to capture our hearts. And that's why Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Right? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Jesus is not calling for maiming and amputation. He's calling us toward radical means of avoiding putting ourselves in positions to lust or to just sin in general. And I can't tell you what those radical means are for you. I can't. Because everyone is different in regard to the sins that attract them. I can tell you that if a fellow Christian says, you know, I can't go there, or or I can't watch that, or I can't do that, then support them. Don't question them. Support them. Support them in that endeavor. There, there's, there's a reason behind that. We, we want to avoid sin because it takes us, it takes us away from God. It's, it's what separated us from God in the first place. It enslaves us and, and deceives us. And its end is destruction. Jesus says, sin leads to hell. That's that, you know, hell isn't a popular thing to talk about, but, but Jesus talks about it a lot. The word translated hell here in, in both times when it's used in this passage is, is the word Gehenna. The, the Jews used this word to symbolize the place of God's judgment and wrath. And, it's, and it was an actual place. Gehenna was a narrow valley outside of Jerusalem where, where garbage was thrown, as well as the dead bodies of, of animals that were of no use or, or criminals. Many commentators also argue that, that there, were, there, were, there were continual fires burning in that valley uh, in order to break down all the, all the trash, all, everything that was discarded. It's quite an image. It's quite an image. This, this, is, this would have been the image that the people would have thought when Jesus said Gehenna. It's also the place, if we go back to the Old Testament, where two former kings, kings of Israel, sacrificed children as burnt offerings before a foreign god. So the prophets associated this place with judgment because of that horrible act. This is the image of where sin leads. See, we don't have the advantage of having like a, a, a Gehenna. You know, Marsh Folly doesn't do it. This, they, they had an actual image of, of, what, of what it sort of would, would be like. And it, it, was a, it was a horrifying picture. And so when Jesus says, sin leads there, they were like, oh my goodness. 
That is horrible. Praise the Lord, though, that Jesus has delivered all believers from the judgment of sin. Why, why would we want to live in the dark prison cell of sin as a Christian when the door isn't locked? Those who are in Christ are free. And so we need to freely keep ourselves from that sin that, that, that tries to separate us from God. Let's look at the last section on divorce. Only a couple verses, 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever mar marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I'm not going to do a deep dive on this subject. As, as Matthew records a more extensive teaching from Jesus later on in his gospel account. So, so we'll just skim the surface for now and then dive in later down the road. The subject of divorce and, and the previous subject of lust are, are grammatically linked here in the passage. And that makes sense, okay? Because oftentimes that, that lust that can cause adultery is, is what often happens, is often the cause of why a divorce happens. There were two prominent schools of teaching on divorce during this time. One was that you could divorce for any reason. And it was typical in this time frame that it was the men who were divorcing the women. The other school of thought was you could only divorce if your spouse was unfaithful to you. The scribes and the Pharisees held to the first one. You might say, that seems kind of weird, because they kind of really upheld the law. It, 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 it does, in a sense, but, but when, you're, when you're a master manipulator of the law, then you can make it say what you want it to say. And so because the language in the Old Testament talks about divorcing for the reason of uncleanness, a lot of times they could say, well, a lot of things can be said of unclean. You know, you don't think, you don't think your wife's attractive. You don't, she, she doesn't... She doesn't satisfy you in the same way. Uh, and they, they could say, well, you can categorize that as uncleanness. But they, the scribes and the Pharisees, were more concerned with, with making sure that the certificate of divorce was given rather than, rather than the heart behind the divorce. So Jesus here upholds the view that is more in line with why Moses permitted divorce back in the law in the Old Testament. He says he permitted divorce because of the hardness of their hearts. There's that word again, heart. It's once again a heart issue. Further, God never commands anyone to divorce. In the Old Testament, it wasn't a commandment. It was, it was a permission because of the hardness of hearts. 
So it's, so it's not a good thing. It doesn't translate to a good thing if you're doing it. And, and that's because marriage is intended to be a lifelong union of a man and a woman becoming one. And for the believer, there is, there is a greater law of love and forgiveness that we must strive for first. That said, let me, let me say that if, if you've committed adultery and, and, and or uh, divorced, you know, that, that is serious because adultery is sin. And, and God says in the Old Testament that, that he hates divorce. But, it, but it's not some permanent mark on you that, that Christ's sacrifice cannot erase. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's no exception clause with that. In Christ, you can have complete forgiveness and, and, the, and the freedom that I'm that I am reminded of from Jesus' own words after he forgave a woman who was caught in adultery, he forgave her and then said, go and sin no more. I, I don't know about you, but looking at these seemingly easy commandments on the surface right, to keep before Jesus expounds them and wrecks us, reminds me that, that I'm more guilty under God's law than, than I realize when I get down deep to my heart. The place where, where all my words and all my actions flow out of. The place that God is most concerned about. No, knowing how sinful we are makes us even more grateful and amazed that Jesus came for us. We, we were not just a little guilty, but completely guilty to the core. Th think about that again. Jesus still came for us. I, I can't even fathom the depth of his love that he must have for you and me when I drill down to my heart and see what's there. It's that love that makes us strive toward obedience, obedience toward whatever he says, because it's that love that, that forgives us when we will surely fail time and time again. Only, only Jesus can change our hearts. And he's a master at it. Look to him. Keep your gaze fixed firmly on the beauty of his love for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that even though I'm, I'm more sinful 
than I ever thought I was. You are more loving than I could ever imagine. Oh, the depths of your love. No wonder we can't fathom it. If we can, we haven't really considered how deep, how deep our sin lies. But thank you that, that you are in the business of changing hearts. In fact, you give us a new heart when we put our faith and trust in you. And thank you for that new heart that we want to, that we want to give a home in our, our life. Help us to turn away from the things that, that try to separate us from you, that try to deceive us. Father, guard us from thinking that the exterior appearances are all that are important to you. Help us to do business with you as we, as we listen to this next song together. Help us to reflect on the words of your great love. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.